Amen. Well, guys, we're continuing. Um, we've been doing this new thing where the kids, and uh, we're all studying the same thing, and I think it's working really well, and it's really cool. I have to prepare a lot further ahead, which I do not like, but oh well. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so it's good, though. It's It's amazing to me how, you know, we would, Kevin and I met, and we laid out this Book of Acts thing that we did during the summer, like, in the spring, and I was like, well, I guess we'll just see how this works, you know, and it was amazing how every week it really lined up with what was going on, even, like, in the world and stuff, and it's like, well, you can't really make that up. It's obviously God doing this because, you know, it it, it was just interesting, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I'm seeing God do cool things in areas that I don't always look for that, you know, and one of them is... Uh, the effectiveness of us looking into God's Word in the same way that the kids are right now. And what we, when we're all kind of in tune to the same frequency, some cool things are happening. So this is part three of our Gideon story. And last week we had one of the parts that was kind of like if you look up pictures of Gideon or something or you remember like if you were a kid in Sunday school, like, oh, yeah, that fleece thing, that was one of them. This is another one of the, like, there's like three main Gideon pictures, I guess. This is one of them, and we're going to be covering that. And it's, the, the main text is from Judges 7, 1 through 8, and the title that we're going to call this is, You Have Too Many, because that's what God says to Gideon. And we talked about last week how God had, or two weeks ago, God had said to Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, when Gideon made the case that I am a nobody. And God doesn't really argue with him. He's like, yeah, but you're the guy who wants to do this. And he's like, okay. So then he starts to go forward. And so God's like, I'm going to use you to, def- this is the last week we were looking at, you know, I'm going to use you to defeat this whole army. And he's like, okay, I need to be sure I'm sure about this before we go out and get killed, you know. And so he does this thing like testing with God twice where he's like, okay, God, look, just I want to be sure we're sure. So in the morning, I'm going to lay out this fleece, and if there's dew only on the fleece and not on the ground, I'll know that you said yes. And he's like, okay. And then he does it, and it happens, and he's like, okay, cool. And he's like, okay, but I still need to be sure that I'm sure. So now let's do the same thing but flip it around. Now I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be covered in dew, and God does that again. He's like, okay. Now we're going to go do this, okay? And I always, this, this, uh, I want us to understand what's going on in this story. And I also want us to be constantly kind of evaluating our own lives and how we apply this. It's not always how we need to be doing Bible studying and things like that. Um, it's not all about us, but I do think that God can speak to our hearts through his word. It's here. It's a living, breathing word, good for all the purposes that the verse says, challenging and everything. So, I want you to be thinking about your own life. And so asking yourself a question, have you ever felt like God has asked you to do something difficult or something that's extremely difficult? Or do you find yourself up against an army that you're not capable of dealing with? And not a literal army, but a spiritual army or a situation in your life that doesn't seem solvable. And maybe have you? the question you need to ask yourself today is, as you follow God into that encounter do you feel like God has given you things that don't make sense as the next step? Because here's what we've got. Um, show the first chart. I made some charts as visual aids for today. So this is our, I, I looked up how many Midianites are we talking about, and there was differing numbers. One was 135,000, one was 120. So I went with 120 because it, it's less, and it kind of, it, well, it doesn't matter. There's a, there's a lot of guys over there, all right? But you can see these are my bar graphs that are based on the numbers that you find in the Bible. That, so Gideon, we heard at the end of last week, he sounds the trumpet and calls people like, hey guys, 
God, the Spirit of the Lord is on us. We're going to take on these Midianites, and we're going to get them out of God's land. And we, you know, we're, we're worshiping God. We're no longer you know, doing the idol thing anymore and everything. So this is what he gets. And if you see the chart on the left is how many Israelites showed up to fight, and that's how many guys they got to fight. So like, that's not a good ratio, okay? And, but, you know, we're like, we're, we're into the Bible. You know, like this, this might be, so I made it, maybe, again, this is somewhat expressive. Go to the second one that's right beside that. This, that maybe like, oh, yeah, but it's kind of like David and Goliath. You know, like he's the small guy, and they're the big guy. Like, God's got this. We, you know, um, though that hadn't happened yet, I'm not saying that they would be thinking this. I'm saying I'm thinking this as we look at the Bible, okay? Um, but, but that, this is a, so already we're in a kind of a little bit of a crazy situation, but that's not, this is where the story starts to get interesting. And I'm going to read uh, Judges 7, verses 1 through 3. Because this is how God says, all right, you've got the guys together. Here's step two. You know, this is how I'm going to make things better. So pay attention to how God makes things better, okay? Because when you're following God, he's probably going to make things better in this exact same way. So just watch. Now keep in mind, Gideon knows, what, he knows God's got this, though, now. That's an important step. That's why we did that last, you know. When God's leading us, we need, when we're sure, we're sure, this is when the faith journey starts. So he says this, early in the morning, uh, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped in the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian, was north of them, in, in the valley near the hill of Morah, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel w- would boast against me. And they would say, my own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave, uh, uh, turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 men remained. Now say, this is the main thing that God is saying to me, he's like, you have too many people. Like, if, I, if we go out, go to that first chart again, Andy. Like, he's like, if we go out like this, you're going to think you did it. And, you, and if I was getting in, I'd be like, what? Like, of course I'm not going to think that. Look at this. Like, we're not doing well, you know. But God knows. He's saying, uh, you know, if we do this right now, as these numbers stand, you're going to, you have too many people, and you're going to take credit for it. And so... The first step in God making it better is he's saying, look, some of these guys are trembling with fear, trembling with fear. And so he says, if any of you are afraid, you can go. And I would have thought that by this point that most of these dudes that had shown up to fight a war against, you know, they already know they're outnumbered. They already know all this kind of thing. You would think they would already be like macho, you know, like this first group would have thinned themselves out already, you know. You already went into this thing. You should have known what was going to happen. But we often step out to do things that we're not called to do or ready to do or all kinds of things like that. And then when the reality hits us, whoa, we start to tremble with fear. And this is the thing, because following the Lord requires courage for everyone. And it's not wrong to be afraid. I think it's important that it says it's trembling with fear. Like some of these people are overcome with fear. Everybody's afraid. Like if you'd said... Send away all the scared people. They'd be like, oh, there's no one left now. You know what I mean? But it's like these are the people that are actually overcome with fear. And so we have to be willing to rise up when it's time and fight on behalf of God and these kinds of things and be able to take that fear and put it in its proper place. But just being afraid isn't wrong. It's 
succumbing to that fear. And so this is, go, go to chart two. So this is what's end up, this is God making it better. So we went from chart one, to, now this is how many people we got. Which is not good if you're not a math genius. <laughs> this is far, so the situation is worse. And so, but I'd be like, if I was getting, I'd be like, okay, well, I get how you're, you know, I get it, whatever, okay. You got something, you got something crazy planned. You know, I remember Joshua and that whole thing. Okay, cool, you know, something crazy planned. But, but this is the thing, God's not done yet. Now, I suspect many of us that are following the Lord would be not comfortable. Comfortable would be a wrong word, but willing to take step one. Be like, you know, this is all, the whole thing's already nuts, and God just, you know, it got a little, you know, nuttier. <laughs> but I'm willing to go there, you know, because, you know, God, you know. So then, but then this is, this is where it gets really interesting. Um, verses uh, 4 through 8. Now the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. So we already lost two-thirds of the guys we had against, we were already outnumbered by so much. God says, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. This is where I think a lot of us start to lose track with God. We're like, wait a second. (laughs) I'm not comfortable with where this is going. And then it gets even more, from my perspective, somewhat arbitrary. So Gideon took the men down to the water like God said, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Now, if you're reading in a different translation, that might have read differently than what I just read. We'll come back to that, okay? The Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men that lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So go to chart one, Annie. God sets us out with this. Then go to the second chart with the redundant. So then we go to this. But then God, now he's going to really make it better. Go to the third chart. Let's just see. Who, who do you have left? There's actually a blue line there. But when you compare 300 to 120,000, that's what it looks like. So now, we're, now God's like, that's what I wanted. That's great. And this is where I think a lot of us get to right here, and then we go, I don't know, but I must have been wrong. I, I really must have just not heard God right. I must have just be wrong. You know, Maybe this whole thing is wrong. Maybe I'm making all of this up. A lot of people go through something now. They call deconstruction, and it's like they get caught in their own head about a lot of this kind of stuff. It's, it's good to deconstruct things that we've made up, but it's bad to start throwing out the baby with the bathwater because you, you got stuck either in a bad situation or a situation you don't understand yet, or uh, you put too much faith in yourself. That's another conversation. But either way, when God is involved and God is direct calling the shots, this is how God wants this to be happening. Any sane person that engages with this, if you remove God from the equation, would think this is crazy, okay? Because it makes no sense. It's absolutely the worst advice you could ever get from anyone about how to take a battle or something like that. And I'm not even, like, in the military, but I could tell you that. Andy could say amen from the back. Thank you. That was staged. 
but I do want to talk talk about this really quick, just because I think it's kind of nerdy and important just to address that. Why why is this the way that God has to sort the people out? Like people who drink what? Like and then like if you're reading a different translation than the one I read, which was the NIV, I think you might be like that's not even what mine said. You know, like it said something that sounded different than that. Um, and the reason actually is given in this. Uh, I'm going to go back. And it says this in verse 5. The Lord told him. And then he tells him what to do. That's the reason. Now, I've read because here's what ends up happening with this. This is the nerd point I was talking about. There's some weird words used in here that make it hard to translate into English. um, That... Because I was reading this in several different translations, and I was like, wait a second, which group of people didn't go? Is it the guys who were like, like, who was what? You know, and sometimes they move. It ends up, it opened kind of a can of worms. It was very interesting. Apparently, some of these words don't so clearly translate um, to English, and so people have had to kind of make interpretive jumps, which leads you to read. Some translations sound like there's guys going all the way down on the ground, and they're drinking the water, just, just drinking it straight out of the water. Those are the dog people. And the other one, like this one, sounds like the people that are scooping the water up and drinking it like this. Those are the dog people. And depending on which one you read, that other group got sent home. And you're like, well, which one was it? You know? And then you start finding out that people come to a lot of conclusions. Like, well, these guys are the dog people, the ones that go all straight down. They're like drinking the water, blah, 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 you know, because they're crazier. And those are the ones you really want fighting a battle. Like, that's, that's actually what a lot of people, you know. And then the other people are like, no, 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 no. But then the other people say, no, these are the guys that are drinking the water because they're keeping their eye on things. Those other guys were exposing their neck. You've probably heard some of this stuff. I have no idea. All right, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and I really, I'll be honest right now, I don't even care because I don't think it matters. Because the main point of why is this the way that God sorts them out, or why is this the way Gideon sorts them out, is because God said so. Like, I think there's a lot of things he could have already been like, you know, that's probably not a good idea. I mean, the fear one, you're like, okay, I don't want people afraid, I guess. But we're all afraid. I mean, but, you know, but then this one, it's like, I... And here's why I think that's kind of important. Because no offense to anybody who is a Hebrew scholar, especially if you're watching this online, like I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to that in any sort of big way. But it's not hard to read about. And you can say, like, why did God do this? And then you start to kind of come up with these reasons that, to me, don't necessarily involve God. You see what I'm saying? Why that's a problem. Like, I don't care if you think, well, it's these guys over here that God wants. But if you start getting into, because they keep their eyes on this, because they're the better fighters, because that will, go to that chart again, any of the third chart, like, because with better fighters, that will make sense. Like, no, or or like, over here, it's like, these are the guys that go, because they're the crazy ones that are like, again, you, you don't have enough crazy people to pull this off, you know, so my advice would be, don't start looking for reasons that are outside of God. It's because God said so. That's it. And we have this whole story of Gideon <laughs> is about trust and obedience. It's not about going, well, since that makes sense to me. Since God now has made it make sense to me. If you remember in the first week we talked about lean not on your own understanding, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's an important point, which came in a very strange way. So there is no other reason necessary than God told us to. Okay. But I also think that uh, when you look at a chart like that, 
that you can also go down another place that I think is unhealthy because I think it puts God in a bad light is that don't think that God, because God is saying, <laughs> you have too many people. If I let you go do this now and we accomplish this together, you're going to think you did it, you know, because we do that. This is like a warning to all of us. But when you hear God saying, I need you to thin this out so that you can know that it's me doing it, you think like, well, what? why does God need so, like, was he like all worried? Like he needs the credit? Like for himself. My answer to that is no. So I don't think that God does not need this credit. God is, I'm, I'm pretty sure, and we could go down a lot of biblical examples, God's, the God knows who he is. You know, he's not going, hey, I need this one so I can feel better about myself. You know, I need this so that I can like, you know, know that I'm, you know, like, I'm still God and stuff. It's good. You know, he knows exactly who he is. When Moses asks him his name, again, it's another one of those weird translational things. He basically says, I am because, like, I, I am because I, I am. That's, that's what it says in English, you know. But it's really like, I exist because I exist. Like, what I'm, my name is beyond what you can really understand, but I'll give you something to work with here. But it's not even, you know, doesn't really get at it. You know what I mean? So that guy, same God, is not worried about getting credit. He needs us to know that it's him doing these things in our lives for our benefit. And again, this world does not revolve around us. But God is kind and good. And I'm going to give you two good reasons that he needs us to know. Because some of us do think it's us. Like we do something amazing for God and we immediately go, I am B.A. I am like so cool. Like look what I just did, you know. And you immediately start to short circuit God working in your life. You see some stories like this with the disciples, you know, or people around them. These things happen. We do the same stuff. Some of us trend that way where if something goes awesome, we think it's us. And then and it's like the whole thing starts to unravel. And, and we build our faith and our life. It's like a house of cards just ready to tumble down. And we don't want to go anywhere near that. And God doesn't want us to go anywhere near that because it's not good. It's not helpful. It doesn't help other people. It's not good for us. It's just bad. And he's trying to protect us from that. The other reason is that some of us, some, like, some of us are more this way. We'll take all the credit from God. And some of us will say no without us knowing it's God doing it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of us are way more into ourselves. Like, our pride is, I can do anything. You know, God's helped me out. God is my co-pilot. You know, this kind of thing, you know. And some of us are like, God can't use me, you know. But when you get to the, the reminder that this is God doing this, it fixes both of those problems. Because this guy over here is like, oh, it isn't me. It's actually God. Now we're seeing things correctly. And this person goes, I actually can't do these things, but you know what? God can. So, hey. And we were able to move forward together. That's the important thing. It's not because God is egotistical and needs it. An egotistical God doesn't come as a man. Okay? You need to, if, if you have envisioned God as being needing, and I'm using the word needing, our worship, and needing the glory and the credit, you're starting, to, like, you're starting to make God in your image, okay? God is so far beyond that. It's right for us to worship him. It's right for us to give him all the credit. He does deserve it all. 
But he doesn't need it the way our fallen selves need it. And when you start to apply these things to God, it's like this weird paper mache veneer that it's just, it's not good. And it's going to lead you into some weird places when you are under a stressful thing, your faith will fail. And you'll go, why? It's like, well, because it was made up. But we need to see, we need to live in ways where God is continually making that difference. And it doesn't always have to be huge or like the only moving part. Like this Gideon story is kind of like, it's a lot like the Jericho story where God is doing like all of it, okay? We'll get to that next week. But like in Jericho, God's like, hey, I've got another great military plan. Why don't you march around this incredibly fortified city and then shout at it and it'll fall down. You know, again, take God out of that. You go, is this person crazy? You know, but you add God back in, you go, we better do what he says. You know what I mean? And then it works because God did it, you know. But then there's other things where, like, God says to Noah, like, I need you to build this ark and do all this thing. And da-da-da. And he's like, this guy works on this thing for a while, you know. <laughs> and then all of this stuff, and people are like, you're, you're nuts. And, and it's, my, you know, we're going to hammer this. And I don't know exactly how they build a boat, but whatever. The point is, they get all the way up done. They're all ready to go. The floodwaters are coming. And then it says that God shut the door. I always think about it, it's like, we followed the instructions, but we made the door too big. Like, <laughs> like, I'd be like, can you get one of those elephants to, like, pull it or something? You know, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm making stuff up. But you get the point. Like, that's a small way that God showed up. Like, maybe they couldn't shut the door, but God's like, I got you. You know, you're, you're, you know, or like Elijah and his altar we talked about just recently where he's like, you know, I'm going to stand up here and we built this whole thing. We've done this whole challenge with the prophets of Baal and everything and Send your fire, Lord. And then, you know. So it doesn't always have to be the whole deal like it is with Gideon or Joshua. But it should be part of the deal. And it should be continually in our lives. It should be that those who don't believe in the Lord look at us and go, that God you're talking about must be real because otherwise your life makes no sense. You know. We shouldn't look just like all those around us. And I'll give you a couple more examples of things. that This is, helps us get our mind about it. There's a... When the Israelites, many years later, they, they have kings and they split their kingdom and then they get into fights. And then the God's, finally, God's finally had it. He's like, I'm going to send you guys away to Babylon for a while. And then they're coming back to rebuild the temple, which is God's kind of making good on some promises here. But they got a bunch of mess going on, a bunch of people trying to stop them from doing this. And God's got a guy, Zerubbabel, he wants to do it and all this kind of thing. But they need this prophetic word that comes in Zechariah, which you've all heard this, but this is where this is coming from, okay? They're coming back to build the temple back, which had been messed up and destroyed, and the, it's occupied by bad people, bad people doing stuff. Everybody's trying to stop them. You can read in Nehemiah. We might go through that again soon. Whatever. The whole thing is like, you know, a mess and dangerous. And so they needed this word. And you can see in Zechariah 4, 6 through 10, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's the word of the Lord to us today, too. And it was the word of the Lord to Gideon that day. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Okay? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone of the temple they're building. To shouts of God bless it, God bless it. I think in this, what are you mountain is kind of like a quarry. I think there's, he's like saying like, you know, it's not just a mountain like we can't get over this mountain. That's there, you know, and we can use that poetically. But I also think it's like we got a whole mountain we got to cut blocks of stone out of, you know. And he's like, <clears throat> we're going to do it, you know. 
What are you? You're going to be a level plane, you know. The hands of Zerubbabel, or your hands, have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me, sent me to you. Who, and then, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Who dares despise, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Go back to that third chart again. This is definitely small things. Sometimes when we start with God and he's leading us somewhere, they get smaller before they get bigger. That's why I didn't, I want to talk about the bigger part next week. We have to sit for a second and think about the small things. You know, oftentimes when we start to move towards doing what God wants in our lives, things get smaller or worser or less good. Or <laughs> I'm trying to, yeah. But let me give you one more New Testament. Kayla, come up here for this one. I'm just going to have her play while I say this. Because it's important that we tie all this back to Jesus, that a God who is not egotistically needing our worship, but instead comes as a man and doesn't even consider equality something with God something to be held on to for like, you know I'm God, right? You know? <laughs> Yet the whole time deserves our worship and our love and our affection, and he finds it with true true people. Jesus comes and is God in flesh, the I am we just talked about, in the flesh, living among people, and his encounters with people change everything in them. And uh, you see a situation I'm going to read right now, which we've preached about this. I remember preaching about it a couple times. I think Jeff did a bunch. I mean, it's like one of those regular stories you encounter but I just want to highlight one little piece of this because it goes into the same thing that Gideon had to deal with. Um, not because it makes sense. A chart like this makes no sense. This is not good advice. It's not like, hey, what can we take away from this and, you know, teach it a TED Talk? There's no TED Talk here. Google's not going to invite you to talk about your, you know, leadership style, Okay. It doesn't make sense in the world, and it shouldn't. That doesn't mean things they do we can't learn from. I mean, I'm not against TED Talks, but I'm just saying, like, when you remove God from the equation, this stuff shouldn't make sense anymore. And that's how it should be. It shouldn't be able, like, I can explain this. I can explain this because of the crazy people thing. Like, that works. Yeah, I can explain this. You can't explain it. It has to be God that's doing it. And in a much smaller way. <laughs> you see this exact same thing with Peter and Jesus in Luke 5, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is where Peter worked. He's a fisherman. Not a bad fisherman. God, he knows how to fish. Okay? He's a good fisherman. He's got boats and stuff. He knows what he's doing. All right? The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. They're done. You know, fishermen, even now, like shrimp guys and stuff, they get up pretty early because... There's, like, reasons for that. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a military person. I'm not a shrimper either. But, you know, you got to fish when there's fish there or shrimp when there's shrimp there. You know what I'm saying? He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So it's like, now I got, like, this kind of semicircle of people because, like, you know, there's, I can sit in the boat. We can all talk, <laughs> you know. 
So Peter's in the boat with him, listening, you know. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Which is kind of similar quality of advice as God saying to Gideon, You know, take the guys who drink this way and send the other guys home, you know. Peter is a fisherman. Jesus isn't. Jesus is God, though, you know. And so Peter seems to have caught on to that by listening to Jesus talk. And I remember Pastor Jeff talking about this one year where he's like, you know, not only is this the wrong time of day, but it's not even the right kind of, like, his instruction to go to the deep water is not even like, it's like, we don't even have the right equipment for that. Like, this is not, everything you said is a bad idea. But this is his response. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Like, okay, I don't have the right stuff. This is not the right time. And we already tried. Like, all night. This is the piece that we have to hold on to. God says you have too many. We say back this. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So what happened? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, and they came to help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Like, enough of this. So Peter got the point in a way that Peter needed to get the point. Don't think God's going to do anything different with you. For he and all his companions were astonished at the cat, the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So the question is, what is God saying to you? It's like what he's saying to Peter. It's like what he's saying to Gideon. What is he saying? Like, what is God saying? That you, that you go, well, this doesn't make any sense. Well, this doesn't, you know, except for if God's involved, you know. What is he saying, you know? And it's going to be, it could be as, it could make sense in this in in the world you know it's not like God's limited to only doing things that don't make sense you know because i think that to kind of build that up a little is that Jesus wants to make a point to Peter in a way that Peter understands that Peter's a fisherman and it says that all these guys are freaked out by this catch like this isn't like hey it's a good day it's like we've crossed that into like oh, i'm uncomfortable now you know and god knows that about each and every one of us But when we start to follow God, things can, from the worldly perspective, as we, like we make our decisions based on logic and the world in front of us, the way we understand things, leaning on our own understanding, and as we start to step into following God, like, like what Peter does, he's like, and like what Gideon is like, this is making less sense as I go along, you know. But on the other side, you have what the the truth is, and 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 with Peter, it totally overwhelms him. You know, I've heard some people say, like, that was Jesus giving Peter enough money to, like, sell his business and, like, fund his whole ministry. I don't know. Maybe it's kind of like the kneeling thing. Like, that's fine. I'm fine with that. That's cool. You know, but I think the main point is that he's like, whoa, you're God and I'm not. And it's you see that in his response. And I hope that as I'm talking, something, God is stirring something in your mind because our response is going to be, Lord, 
this makes no sense but because you say so I'll do it because God promises Gideon this with three the 300 men the 300 men go back to that chart one more time this is the last time we'll just leave it up for a second with the 300 men the blue line you can't even see um, I'm going to give the Midianites into your hand and at this point Gideon is ready to go okay because he doesn't go back to the fleece thing. He's like, okay, I was with you. <laughs> Let's go back and fleece again. Make sure we're sure. You know what I mean? He's ready now. So what is God saying to you? Kayla's going to sing a song. We're going to close. And If you need prayer, come forward. We'll pray with you. But I think we all need to know the answer to that question. It may not come today. You may already know it. You may have known it for 20 years. I don't know. But what is God saying to you? He didn't make you to be a nobody person. In the world, in your faith, he didn't make you this way. And even if you in every way feel like you are, like Gideon did, it just doesn't matter. Like God's standing there going, hey, you're the mighty warrior I need. And I think that in order for us to move forward, like, in the church, in the faith, in this world that we're finding ourselves in, which we don't control. We're going to have to get a lot of these things straight or else we're going to lose track and just, we won't make it, you know. So let's not rush through it. Let's not just, okay, that was fine. I get that. Yeah, you know, but like really press into this because I think that there are corporate things that God will have us do they will feel like this <laughs> as we engage with them. But God also has very specific things for every single one of you and me to do that will feel like this as well. And it's good. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. And that strange advice that you gave Gideon and the strange advice that you gave Peter, that we would be able to hear your voice, the good shepherd, and follow you not chicken out and have courage Father move on our hearts Lord come forward if you need prayer let's sing along with Caleb but also just reflect before the Lord as he speaks to you don't rush don't rush through the moment Um, let the Lord speak Praise will ever be